0: Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. Today, John's message is titled, How to Be a Soul Winner. Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter number 11, and I want us to look at the verse that we looked at last Sunday morning. It's verse number 30 of Proverbs chapter 11, and I'm going to be quoting this out of the New King James, the second half of the verse, and listen to what it says. He who wins souls is wise. And like I said last week, if we win souls, we're wise. The Bible says that. That means the opposite must be true. If we fail to win souls, we're unwise. We're foolish. We're wasting our lives. Now, as we saw last week, that word, win comes from the Hebrew word, lekoch. And we find that same Hebrew word in 1 Samuel 16, where the prophet Samuel told Jesse to send somebody out into the field to bring his youngest son, David, before Samuel so that Samuel could anoint him to be king. So the assignment was, send somebody out there and bring David in. So when it talks about winning souls, that's what it is. We go out into the fields, out into the communities, out into the schools, out into the plants, out into wherever we are in life, and we endeavor to bring people to Jesus Christ. And the question is, how do we do that? I know anytime we talk about being a soul winner or sharing your faith or leading somebody to Christ, probably the majority of people here and I, I feel this way sometimes. We just feel like, man, I don't know if I'm qualified to do that. I don't know if I would know exactly what to say. I don't want to mess anything up. I don't want to come across as holier than that or like I've got everything together. I don't want to, I don't, I don't know. But the whole thing about talking to somebody about God, it's intimidating and I don't really know what to do. Well, what I want to do in this message is to give you some things, some steps that you, you can take and certainly steps that I can take that will help us to go out into the world and represent Christ well and bring people to Jesus Christ. So the first thing that I would say, and and, and by the way, before I get into these little three steps, sharing your faith is not about technique primarily. In fact, it's not about technique at all. It's not about memorizing some gospel plan and just regurgitating that every time you're around somebody or, you know, quoting that just thoughtlessly. No, Sharing your faith, let's just see in our outline here. First of all, we can do that by walking in the Spirit. Now, I know when we think about sharing our faith, we're normally thinking about, well, what am I going to say? What I'm saying to you is, what you say is not as important as whether or not you are saying it in the Spirit. That you are full of the Spirit. And so when we are full of the Spirit, what are we? We're full of peace. We're full of joy. We're full of love, and we're very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And we have to be that. When we're walking in the Spirit, we can be used of God. When we're walking in the flesh, we're not going to be used of God so effectively. People who are unsaved need to be able to look at our lives and certainly not see perfection, because that's not going to ever be in us until we get to heaven, but they need to see something in our life that is different than they have in their life. In other words, they need to look at us and say, you know what? Those Christians, they go through some of the same things that I go through. They enjoy some of the same things I enjoy. They have some of the same problems I have. But you know what? They seem to look at it differently. So I think one of the things we need to convey, however we convey it to those who are not saved, is just because I'm a Christian, that doesn't mean that I'm not normal. It doesn't mean that I don't enjoy certain things. See, a lot of the people who are not Christians, they think if I go to church, if I, quote, get saved, if I get serious about God, I'll never enjoy the things that I, I can never watch a movie. I'll never watch a ball game. I'm just going to be at church, 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 all my whole life's going to be church, and I'll never get to do anything I've enjoyed doing. And we need to help them understand, no, we like to watch ball games too. And we like to do things that they enjoy too. The only difference between a Christian and a non-Christian when it comes to watching a ball game, there are three differences. i thought about this. Number one, we shouldn't gamble. Number two, we shouldn't use profanity if there's a bad play. And number three, we shouldn't get mad if our team loses, right? Like if, if, if I'm watching a football game with a friend who's not saved, man, I'm for my team. We're watching a game. It's a great game. Can you believe that call? What are they thinking? But the game's over and my team loses, well, I'm disappointed. I wish we'd have lost, but you know what? I'm not going to punch a hole in the wall. I'm not going to break a mirror. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to use profanity. I say, you know what? We lost the game. What they, what they would see then, you know what? Oh, John, he likes what I like. He enjoys what I like, but his team lost. He's not depressed. He's not mad. He's not angry. What The point I'm trying to make is We enjoy some of the same things. We do some of the same things. But as Christians, we should have a slightly different perspective on the same thing. That's true for things we enjoy. And that's also true for hard times in life. You see, non-Christians out there need to understand that those of us who are saved, who are in the church, we have some of the same heartbreaking experiences that they have. We didn't get a pass on that when we got saved. Now last night, when I started working on this, I was to this point in the sermon, I was thinking, now God, if I had an illustration about a Christian who has been through or is going through a hard time, and yet they're being faithful to you, this would be a great place. Well, about the time that I'm thinking that, ding, I get a text message. And so I I pulled up on my phone, so who has texted me? And it was a good friend of mine, and named Susan Seelig, and I want to tell you about her in just a moment. But I had texted her over the weekend just to tell her I was thinking about her uh, and just check in to see how she's doing. You say, John, now why would you, why would you have t- texted her? What's going on in her life? Well, about 10 years ago, Susan and her husband Bob joined our church. And I remember when they joined and having my first conversation with them that we just kind of really hit it off. And you know, sometimes you do that in life. Sometimes you hit it off people and, and we, we just hit it off. And the reason, the primary reason we hit it off is because they were coming here from the Episcopal church. They were Episcopalians. Bob had been a long, long time Episcopalian. And so I, as a lifelong Baptist, was interested in this man and his wife who were coming to First Baptist from the Episcopal Church. And I asked him about that. I said, Bob, what's the deal? How do we end up getting you from the, your Episcopal Church coming to the Baptist Church? And he, he, I don't remember exact words, but here's basically what he said. He said, you know, John, what I like about First Baptist is this. You don't criticize the Episcopalians or any other denomination, and you don't brag on your own denomination." He said, I find that refreshing. He said at First Baptist, what I like about around here is y'all aren't lifting up the name Baptist. You're lifting up the name Jesus. And he said, as long as you lift up the name Jesus, I can meet you at the, his feet and we can worship together and we can be in the same church. And so right there is how it started. I thought, man, this is my, he made me want to be an Episcopalian right there. But then I'd have left him because he came to be a Baptist. But what we were saying is none of that makes any difference. It's not, it, 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 it amounts to zero. It means nothing. So we hit it off well. Through the years, we have maintained our friendship. I've done several weddings for their family. Several years ago, Bob was diagnosed with cancer. He was treated for that cancer in the treatment. He developed a serious lung problem. Long story short, just a few weeks ago, Bob slipped out of his body and he went to be with the Lord. We had his funeral here at First Baptist. What makes this sad situation even more difficult is that not long before Bob went to heaven, his wife Susan was diagnosed with cancer, and she was told that she would have to begin a chemotherapy uh, regimen that would last for approximately nine months. So she had started the chemo just before Bob went to heaven. He went to heaven. She took a small pause. Now she's starting back the chemo. And so as we went through... The Thanksgiving weekend, Susan was very much on my heart. And so I had sent her a text. Susan, thinking about you, how are you doing? And last night she texted me back. She's giving me permission. I wouldn't be sitting up here reading you people's texts if I didn't have permission to do that. But she gave me permission to do this. And uh, I, I want to read you the text. And I'm trying to make this point. Those of us who are saved have some of the same problems that those who are not saved have. But we should be able to look at the same problem from a different perspective, at least a slightly different perspective. Here's her text to me. Thank you, John. It has been most difficult without my Bob. I have many dark days, but I will not give up. I never thought I could be strong, even in such weakness, but I am, at least for now. Chemo keeps messing with my blood pressure and takes it to extreme level. The doctors are working to try to figure this blood pressure thing out. I have never had high blood pressure. They say that I'm having an allergic reaction to both the steroids and the chemotherapy. I think, though, that it's because my heart is broken and the chemo is messing it up even further. I'm so grateful for your prayers and for your reaching out to me. I agree with you. I will make it. It may look clumsy at times, but listen to this last sentence she put in there. But surely God is working in this mess. That's what she said. Just lost her husband, battling cancer herself. Does she like it? No. Is she sad? Yes. Is she having physical difficulties? Yes, she is. But what is she saying? She is saying, I don't understand it, but God is working in this mess. Let me tell you something. If she's down there at MD Anderson, wherever she's getting her treatments, and she's talking to a nurse or, or she's talking to a, another patient who's going through something, and maybe this other person's not saved, and Susan shares, which I know she would naturally with them, what she texted me, and says, yeah, I don't understand all this. It's painful. It's hard. My blood pressure is all over the map. But I believe, even though I can't understand, I believe that somehow, someway, God is in this mess. That is a powerful witness to those that she tells it to. And I want you to know today, Susan Seelig, by the grace of God, is in this service over here on about the second row, singing her praises and worshiping, worshiping God today. And so we have to walk in the Spirit. And if we're walking in the Spirit, God will give us opportunities to share with others. Now the second thing we have to do, not only by walking in the Spirit, but by having our eyes wide open by being on the lookout for divine connections, Psalm 37:23, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it says, "The steps of a righteous person are ordered by the Lord. God directs our steps. I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. I believe when I go to the grocery store, if I bump into somebody and talk to them, divine appointment. I believe when you're at work tomorrow school and you're having a conversation with somebody, it's a divine connection. Now, what we have to do in those moments is we have to be walking in the Spirit because we have to discern, does God have us there to A, plant a seed, to B, water a seed that's already been planted, or to C, reap a harvest? You have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. When you talk to people about God, You have to be sensitive. I know some people, they want to see people get saved. They really do. They have a passion for the unsaved. And they'll go to a restaurant, and their whole mindset is, walking in the door of the restaurant, before I get out of there, I'm going to lead this person serving my table. I'm going to lead them to the Lord. And I've been at tables with people who do this. And their hearts are purer than mine. But let me tell you something. That's not always a wise thing to do. Because if you say, I'm going in this restaurant today and I'm going to present the gospel and I'm going to tell this person how to be saved, you may be trying to reap a harvest, but nobody's ever planted a seed. God may have you at that restaurant just to plant a seed, just to be kind. You may never even mention God or you may, it just depends how the spirit leads, but you're kind. And maybe they mess the order up and whether you eat it wrong or send it back, that's okay, but you're kind about it. And and you're gracious, and you're generous, and you're patient, and you're not complaining about everything. And when you leave, that person thinks, you know, that person was very kind. And, and maybe later in the day, that, that person who worked that table says to somebody else, you know, that family that I waited on, they, they were so kind. I messed the order up, but they were patient, and they were, they were kind, and they were big tippers. Well, the other person who works at that restaurant may say, well, you know, th- those people are Christians. Those people go to First Baptist. That fellow that you're talking about, he teaches my connection group at the church or that she sings in the praise team. Did, did, did they don't mention that to you, no. They didn't tell me about they sing in the praise team or they go to some church or no, but I just noticed they were kind and then later on they find out you're a Christian. What have you done? You've planted a seed. It may be that you're in a situation divinely appointed by God. It is a divine connection. Somebody else has already planted the seed. They've been kind. They've said something about the Lord. But now you're there to water that seed. And maybe that waiter, maybe that server, maybe that person at your plant or your work, they say something to you like, you know, I just don't have any peace in my life. Could could you pray for me? And you have an opportunity right there to water a seed. See, they're opening their heart to you and telling you they're struggling with something. And you can water that seed and you can say, you know, I've struggled with anxiety. I've struggled with fear. But I've learned in my life that if I just give it to God and trust God with it. That doesn't mean I never get anxious. Or no, but it means I just handle it all so much better. You're watering a seed. Or it may be that you're in a divine connection, and the seed's already been planted, and somebody's already watered it, and the door is open, and you have the opportunity to share Christ with that person and actually lead them to pray and invite Jesus into their heart. That's what I'm saying. If you go into a restaurant and you say, I'm here today to lead the person waiting on my table to the Lord, you're not in the Spirit. Your heart's in the right place, but your mind's not in the right place. You're trying to say you're going to reap a harvest when God may have you there to plant a seed. So what I'm saying is, when we go, think about, you know, how have have churches normally done evangelism training? In the past, what have we done? We've had a class on Sunday night, and that's a good thing because you can do more in-depth training. And in the class, you talk about some of the things I'm talking about today. You talk about how to share your faith, what to say, how to get the conversation started. And you may have 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 100 people show up for that. But today, between the two services, hundreds of people are here. And when the service is over and tomorrow we all go back to work, some of you are going to Exxon and some of you are going to, to Shell and some of you are going to McDonald's and some of you are going to this school or that school. We're going all across the community. Some of you are going into government buildings. Some of you are going into hospitals. Some of you are going to all these places you work. We're going into all these different places. What I'm saying is you're not going to work tomorrow for the purpose of leading all your co-workers to Christ. You're going to work tomorrow for the purpose of doing your job. But as you are at that place of business, you should have your eyes wide open and say, God, while I'm here, I'm on on mission. I'm here to do my part in reaching this community for Jesus Christ. God, give me wisdom. Today, am I planting a seed? Today, am I watering a seed? Today, am I reaping a harvest? God, what am I doing today to further the cause of Christ in how I live, first, and secondly, in what I say. So be on the lookout for divine connections. And then number three, this is so very important, by naturally and appropriately sharing with the people who God brings into your path, who God places on your heart, by naturally and appropriately sharing with them what Jesus Christ means to you. Now, remember this, when you're talking, now we're over here now at the Not just the planting stage, but the watering stage, we're going to talk a little more about God. Talk a little about Jesus here. Or the reaping stage, we're going to give an explanation of how they can be saved. We have to remember this. The more we can identify with them and help them to identify with us, the more effective it's going to be. In other words, in these settings, if we send off an air that we're one step above them. We're holier than they are. We know more than they do. We're going to turn people off and never lead anybody to Christ. But if in those encounters, we're honest, we're real, we're vulnerable, and they say to us, man, I tell you, I've never been as anxious in my life. I'm having a hard time sleeping. I'm having to start taking medication for my anxiety. I'm even battling a little bit of depression. I can't sleep at night. I've lost my appetite. When people start saying things like that, that is not a time to in any way be condescending and to say, well, you know, you just need more faith or you just need to tough it up. That is not what they need. What they need is somebody who understands. Did you know one of the reasons that God lets us go through difficulties in our life has nothing to do with us? It has to do so we can better understand what they're going through in their life. I look at things I've been through in my life, especially in the last few years when I got, had some physical issues. And, and because of those physical issues, I began to experience in my own life some nervousness, some anxiety, some feelings of overwhelmed, some being fearful that I never had had in my life. Never had that before. Well, I think one of the reasons God allowed me to go through some of that is so that I can better understand what other people are feeling in their own lives. And the same with you. So in that setting, if you can just naturally and appropriately say, "Well, you know what, I tell you what, fear. Man, I don't think anybody's battled fear more than I have. Or anxiety, I don't think anybody maybe understands you know, anxiety better than I have, or like with me, since I used to doubt my salvation. I say, you know, there was so many years I used to really not be sure that I was saved, and I was always wondering and worried, when I die, am I going to go to heaven? And I've told that to so many people, and they say back to me, they say, well, you know, that's exactly how I feel. See, what I've learned is this. When we get real, they get real. If we put up a barrier, they're going to put up a barrier. And I've had people say to me sometime, I'll do a sermon and I'll say something I've struggled with, especially if it's doubt or fear, anxiety. Some some people say, John, that was a good sermon. But man, when you shared all that, you kind of made yourself look weak. But what I think is, man, I appreciate you trying to protect me because I know you don't, you know, if you look weak, we look bad, we should all look strong. But I think to myself, I'm not trying to look strong or weak. I'm trying to be real, and the fact is, I am weak. And what people we're talking to need to understand is they're weak. We're weak, but it is when we're weak and when we recognize our weakness that we become strong in Jesus Christ. I heard a a, a former professional wrestler who became a governor being interviewed one night years ago, and he he was asked about his faith. And he was asked specifically by a non-Christian. They asked him, said, Governor, are you a Christian? And the governor said this. He said, no, I'm not a Christian because Christianity is for weaklings. And when he said that, I can remember it made me angry. I thought, well, how dare you? I'm a Christian. You just insulted our whole faith community. But the more I thought of it, I thought, you know, the man's right. Christianity is for weaklings. What that man doesn't understand is how weak he is. And the message we want to get out to people is hey, man, I understand fear, anxiety, doubt, worry, stress, all of it because I've been through it. And in Jesus Christ, I have been set free from that. Not that we never have an anxious moment or never work, not that we're perfect, but that we have largely been delivered from the severity of that that could keep us in bondage. So, in order for us to reach people, we have to walk in the Spirit, we have to be on the lookout. For divine connections, God, who are you bringing into my life? And we have to naturally and appropriately share with them what Jesus Christ means to our life. You know, in the gospel presentation, when you're talking to somebody, you definitely have to explain to them that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins, that he was buried, and that three days later, God brought him back to life again. And that if we will ask for forgiveness, ask Jesus to save us, and trust him to do it, That he will save us. That is the gospel. So however you say it, you've got to get that in there at some point. But in the sharing of the gospel, I find it helpful also to just concisely use these three words as an outline in my mind. What my life was like before I met Christ. How I met Christ. And what my life is like now. Now, as I think about that and saying that to you today... If you got saved when you were young, you say, well, what was my life before, you know, before? I mean, if you got saved at six, seven, or eight years old, unless you were really causing some trouble in that daycare, you didn't see like a Damascus Road experience, right? A lot of people get to be teenagers, and they start doubting their salvation because they look back and say, well, I don't really see anything that changed. Well, you don't need to doubt your salvation for that reason. You need to ask, Forget the before how and now part. Ask yourself this question. How is your life different now than it would be if you didn't know Jesus Christ? Now, I want to ask you that question today. Just think about your life right now. Which set of words best describes you? Anxious? Stressed out? Overwhelmed? Depressed? Worried? Afraid? Hey, we all. even after we get saved, sometimes we still struggle with those. But I'm saying, is your whole life like that? Or would you say, you know, John, sometimes I have those emotions and feelings and thoughts, but for the whole, for the most part, peaceful, calm, confident in God, relaxed, joyful, loving. Let me ask this question. Is your life more described by anger or by unconditional love? Do you have love in your heart for people or do you have hate in your heart for people? Well, What the Bible says is, if we will receive Jesus Christ, he can transform us from that first list to the second list, and we can be saved. Would you like more information on how Jesus can transform you? If you do, you can contact us by sending an email to info at peacebybelieving.org, or by going to our website, peacebybelieving.org, and looking for the Find Peace tab at the top of the page. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.